listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Welcome to the show, the Guitar Repair Podcast, The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Daw, happy to be here once again, and uh, as always, here's my lovely co-host, Mrs. Daw, Melissa. Hello, everybody. Uh, Did you uh, get a chance to listen to the episode, uh, the last episode where I interviewed Jason Verlindy? Yeah. And then did you hear his interview of me on the Fretboard Journal podcast? I did. I know you did because I was there, but, you know, I'm wondering if the listeners knew that. Oh. So the last Fretboard Journal podcast, which uh, that doesn't mean much because this is a podcast. The last. Yeah. yeah, I don't know when you're going to listen to this. I think it was episode 103. Oh, look at you. Episode 103 of the Fretboard Journal podcast is an interview with me if you want to hear me go on and on about absolutely nothing like I don't already do that here, that's your chance. That's your chance to check it out. I could be wrong about that. He asks number. me He asks me a question, and then I give a completely different answer. He'll, I, say, he'll say, so tell me about guitars, and then I start talking about Buddy Holly. It's really sad to listen to. I'm a disjointed human. But in my defense, I, had, I was functioning on basically no sleep, and that interview was 9 a.m., well, uh, I also, I listened to the interview and I didn't think that, I thought that you answered the questions that he asked you, so. Well, I hadn't had enough coffee. Well, and yeah, we have a baby, we don't sleep. What are you going to do? Okay, so, I thought we'd bring back an old segment, Guitar News. Guitar News. What do you think? You know, people ask me, they say, Eric, what whatever happened to Guitar News? Do they say that? No, but they say... Whatever happened to Red? I've had people say that. You remember Red that did yes. the news? Tell everybody where Red is today. Well, I don't think they'd believe me if oh. I... Okay. Let's just say that Red was abducted by aliens. Yeah. <laughs> that would be more believable than what happened to Red, actually. <laughs> Red's fine, but she's... Red's real name, I, and I did not know this when we did the podcast together. Red's real name is Heather Wade. And Heather went on to become, at about the same time she left our podcast, she became Art Bell's producer for his podcast. Not his podcast. Yeah, well, it's a it was an internet streaming show oh. slash podcast. Okay, yeah. But she became his producer. And then, as if you know who Art Bell is, if you don't know who Art Bell is, just skip ahead a few minutes. But uh, Google him. Uh, he... He was doing a podcast there for a while, and of course he quit. 
because his family was under imminent threat from people from the planet Venus Venus or something. Right. Jupiter. No, there was somebody shooting at his house. I don't know. God, that guy's got more drama than any 72-year-old alive. Anyway, he quit. Anyway, he quit, and Heather had about two hours' notice. Guess what? You're the new host of the show. So Heather has her own podcast now called Midnight in the Desert with Heather Wade. And it gets like a million listens. Actually, it's called Art Bell's Midnight in the Desert with Heather Wade. Oh, is that what it's <laughs> called? Something like that. That's I awesome. don't know. But it's actually a great show. So if you miss Red, there, that's your chance. Go to midnightinthedesert.com. Anyway, she used to do the news and then she stopped doing the news and then now we don't have the news anymore. But no, let's, so let's do the news. Great. Into our news. All right, so, uh, yeah. This is going well. Yeah. Okay, news story number one. This comes from fastcoexist.com by Charlie Sorrell. These are just excerpts from the article, but I thought maybe you could uh, uh, read some news for us here. I'd love to. Annie Clark, a.k.a. the music star St. Vincent, has designed her own guitar in collaboration with the Ernie Ball Music Company. And unlike most guitars, this one is designed to fit a woman's body. Ooh. I wanted to design a tool that would be ergonomic, lightweight, and sleek, Clark wrote on Instagram. There is room for a breast or two. I thought that's what what Gibson SGs were for. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah. Isn't that what uh, Mary Ford played? I don't know. I guess so. And Uh, Sister Rosetta uh, Thorpe? Tharpe? Thorpe? Sister Rosetta. I think it's Thorpe. Have you seen that video of Sister Rosetta playing the SG, like some, some gospel yes, I have, soul throwdown? Yeah. Surrounded by screaming people? It's pretty... Oh my God. I, yeah. It's a little unnerving, actually, because she looks like a nun, and she's... Kind of. Well, it, if... Wait, sister? Yeah, well, if yeah, she doesn't really look like a nun, but she's... You know, but she... A gospel singer. Yeah. You know what I mean. Anyway. Uh, it is not uncommon for famous guitarists to have signature models with their names on them as a kind of sponsorship deal, but they're usually customized versions of existing models. The St. Vincent guitar was designed from scratch, mixing 1980s German synth-pop aesthetics with American muscle car colors. I like that. Yeah. The structure considers the practical needs of a guitarist who knows exactly what she needs from an instrument. Clark wanted something easier to handle than the standard electric guitars like the Fender Stratocaster or Gibson Les Paul. The famous, famously heavy Les Pauls weighs around 9 to 10 pounds. I would need to travel with a chiropractor on tour in order to play those guitars, Clark told Guitar World. It's not that those aren't great guitars, but they render themselves impractical and unfunctional for a person like me because of their weight. Yeah. You know... I agree with that. When I Yeah, when I first heard about the girl guitars, I thought, well, that is totally sexist. <laughs> uh, no, I just thought it was kind of pointless. But that does make sense. Les Pauls are super heavy, and if you're small... That's ridiculous if you're trying to play for a three or four hour gig. Well, you could do what I do and play a Dan Electro or a or a lightweight Ash Telly style guitar. Yeah. Those weigh six or seven well, pounds. Yeah, and she says, she compares it to the Fender Stratocaster too, and those aren't that heavy, are they? No, not really. I don't know. Anyway, 
Uh, her new guitar weighs around seven pounds, mostly thanks to its narrow, elongated body, which is devoid of curves. And that slim shape isn't there just to cut weight. It looks like a bow tie. Oh, really? Or like, you know, the Budweiser logo that looks like a bow tie, kind of? Uh-huh. Looks like that. That's funny. I haven't I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I was always finding when I was playing on stage and wearing various stage outfits, the guitar would cut across one of the best features of the female body, which is the waist. Oh. That's not what I thought that was going to go on to say. Well... Uh, with this guitar held up high, her stage costumes can be much better seen. Oh, well, why not just have an invisible guitar or a, or a guitar made out of see-through, uh, plastic? I like the invisible guitar idea. It'd be like Wonder Woman's, uh, invisible jet. Why doesn't she become invisible? That would be St. helpful. St. Vincent? Yeah. <laughs> she, she kind of is to me. Uh... <laughs> That was a, but the reason I picked these two news stories is because they're kind of related. Not really. No, I don't mean to disparage Saint Vincent. Uh, she, her music is amazing, and she's a lovely human being. And I think that the guitar is a fantastic uh, design. And I wish her all the success in the world. Next news story. You know, this is a little bit long. This article was really long. This is about a quarter of it. Wow. But I, okay. I thought we'd read it because it i found it interesting you want to take turns maybe you each read a paragraph here okay three years later the mystery behind kalamazoo kalamazoo gals i've already botched it i'm fired three years later the mysteries behind kalamazoo gals keep getting stronger dun 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 this is from wmuk.org which is a some kind of npr affiliate radio station by robbie feinberg in 2013, the book Kalamazoo Gals by professor and music journalist John Thomas told the unique story of women stepping into the Gibson guitar plant during World War II and building instrument themselves. There were a lot of fascinating details of hardship, social justice, and industrial cover-up. Now, three years later, some of the Kalamazoo Gals mysteries still remain, and they are only getting stranger. Is that so? It all started about a decade ago when John Thomas saw a photograph from World War II showing roughly 75 women standing in front of the Gibson Guitar Manufacturing Plant in Kalamazoo. This sparked his curiosity. Thomas had read into Gibson's history, and the company said it made no instruments during the war, just army supplies like airplane wings and electronics. By the way, this is just an aside. Everybody knows that Gibson made guitars during the war. This, this is not a secret. Oh, okay. Everybody knows. But this article is makes it sound like he's discovered some secret. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Anyway, I continue. This photo left him wondering, did these women work at Gibson? Did they maybe build guitars? So from here, Thomas started investigating. He somehow talked his way into Gibson's archives in Nashville. There, he found Gibson's shipping ledgers from World War II and took pictures of each page. What he found in those ledgers goes directly against Gibson's story. He found that in World War II, the company shipped tons of guitars. Almost 25,000 instruments shipped during the war, Thomas says. So not only is it an interesting story to me, but it's a mystery. It's an industrial cover-up. Hmm. And these weren't just any guitars. They were a special kind, the Gibson Banner. This is a guitar made during World War II, Thomas says, grabbing a hold of a vintage banner and resting it on his knee. 
And the reason I can tell that is there is a little golden banner on the headstock that says, Only a Gibson is good enough. And that banner went on the guitars in 1942 and came off in 1945, he continues. That correspondence corresponds not only with World War II, but also when the women were making these guitars. So if you find Gibson with that banner, you know a woman's hand made it. Thomas says it actually seemed like Gibson was going to work with him shortly after his book came out. They were going to form some sort of partnership. That's when things got really strange. It all started with a big event to announce the partnership. And then there was no one there to greet me, he says. No one would return my phone calls. Thomas kept calling Gibson. No answer. He finally reached a guitar maker at the company who was supposed to lead the partnership. And Thomas says she told him she was called into an office by her supervisor. And he told her that the project was done and that if she talked to Thomas, she'd get fired. That's bizarre by itself. But then Thomas says he spoke with Gibson directly. He says the company demanded to know who gave him access to shipping ledgers, and if he didn't say, Gibson would sue him. WMUK reached out to the company and some former Gibson employees to try to get an explanation for these statements. No one has answered. Gibson has not sued Thomas yet, but the company's continued denial is still a mystery to him. This is a positive story, he says. There's feminism, history, social justice. Why hide it? The, the only explanation I can possibly come up with is Gibson did not think that the buying public, who were men, would embrace guitars made by women. This story is getting insane. <laughs> Everybody involved in this story is insane. Thomas says, I just wanted this to sort of have a nice ending. The ends would connect on the loop of history, and it didn't happen, so I don't know why. Thomas says the mystery and the cover-up were part of what drew him to the story years ago, and somehow, now, years after Thomas pulled the curtain on World War II and Gibson, the mystery still remains. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's any mystery. Everybody knows Gibson made guitars during the war, and everybody knows that women were working at the factory, and it wasn't some kind of a social justice situation. Like, I mean, he makes it sound like they're covering up this old history of, like, like one day Gibson called a meeting and said, you know, here it is, 1942. Not enough women work at our factory. <laughs> we need to fire all these men and bring in about 75 women and make these guitars. The men were at war, duh. I mean, it, this is not a mystery. Everybody knows that's what happened. These are Rosie the Riveter type women. And uh, the only reason Gibson doesn't want to have anything to do with John Thomas in his book is because Gibson doesn't care about their past they don't care about those guitars because that's their most direct competition gibson's no. biggest competition is their own vintage and used market all right they yeah, want you to buy sense. a new gibson yeah. they don't want you to read john's book they don't want you to know about the history they don't want to they don't want to advertise their their vintage guitars and their used guitars and their, the guitars they made five years ago or 50 years ago. They want you to buy a new Gibson. Mm. There's no mystery here to me. That's my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not a, it's, it's anyway. It's a pretty dick move by Gibson, though, to say that they were going to partner with this guy and then not. Well, from what I've heard of modern Gibson, it's par for the course. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. 
Moving right along. We have a lot of questions, so maybe we should dive right in. Uh, what I was thinking we would do going forward is every other episode, we would do either news. So we'll do news one episode, then we'll have an interview the next episode. Oh. And then we'll go back to news and then do an interview. Okay. That's what I'm thinking now. I We'll see if, I, yeah, if I even remember that yeah. I said that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's hard to even get this podcast going, you know? Yeah, we have I mean, to get off our well. Off I, the bed I have to. I have to edit all these questions and put them all in a document, print them out, and read them and research them and do. Uh, you know, the other thing that happened is my my contact form on my website went down, Aww. and a bunch of the emails I got, you, I only get about the first sentence, and then the rest is cut off. Oh, I know, and I'm I'm using the worst web hosting company in the history of humanity and so i'm either gonna have to redo my website or i don't know i think i fixed it enough to where you can still use it so it should be fixed now to where if you go to ericdaw.com you submit a question for the podcast it should work go to ericdaw.com e-r-i-c-d-a-w.com click the contact link it should work. I tested it out just before the show. So, uh, the other way to participate, and nobody did this for this episode, but you can call 757 774 8482. Or maybe you did call and, and that is broken too. It wouldn't surprise me. But you can text that number too 757 774 8482. That's the way to do it. And without further ado, let's dive right into the questions. We get that. You were talking about cool Fender books on the last episode, and I just wanted to add my two cents. Fender, The Golden Age by Martin Kelly, Terry Foster, and Paul Kelly. It's really a beautiful coffee table type of book, and the pictures are simply stunning. There are many rare pictures in there documenting things I'd never seen. I thought you might like to know about it if you didn't already. Thanks for the great podcast, Dale in Hawaii. Dale, I'm so glad that you sent in this question because I should have added that book to my list of books because I do own that book, and it is a beautiful book. It's absolutely stunning, and uh, I very much appreciate you uh, mentioning it. Yeah, Fender, The Golden Age by Martin Kelly, Terry Foster, and Paul Kelly. It's a beautiful book. Check it out. Just listening to the latest Fret Files podcast, I think the book you can't remember the title of could either be The Inner Game of Music by Barry Green or perhaps Zen Guitar by Philip Sudo. Both great books either way. Warm Wishes from Southampton, England. Mm -hmm. Matthew Reynolds. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, do you remember the what he's talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't remember the title of a book for the last episode. Right. Um. But the next, the next email, I think, hits it. Okay. Hey, Eric, this is Dan Phelps. I think the title of the book you are trying to remember is Effortless Mastery by Kenny Werner. Ding, ding, ding. That was it. Sweet. Yep. Yeah, Thanks, Dan. I, I know, and I really appreciate that because I could not, for the life of me, remember it and no amount of internet searching. I mean, how do you even do an internet search for a book that you can't remember the title of yeah. that's that has such a vague concept as its subject. So I appreciate that because I was able to order a new copy. Oh, and uh, yeah. Sweet. I'm rereading it now. Such a great book. Effortless Mastery by Kenny Werner. Man, 
What a great book. It, 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 it would, it's, it's written for musicians to, you know, to help you overcome your inner stumbling blocks, your mental challenges, but um, it, it, it would help anybody in any area of life. Uh, it's not just for musicians. What a great book. I want you to read it, actually. Yeah, I will. Okay. I'd like to. There you go. Hello, Eric and Melissa. This interview with Jason Verlindi was amazing. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks for the reply about book recommendations. They're greatly appreciated and, of course, set me on search for some of the books you suggested. Is the book title you couldn't remember called The Inner Game of Music by Barry Green? Mm. I guess that's one that we should... Uh, yeah, second person into. to mention that. I, yeah. I, should, uh, I should check that out. Strangely, it has remained unread on my bookshelf for many, many years. After the podcast, it was dusted off, and now I'm reading it. Unfortunately, the Blackguard book has been out of print for quite some time. Mm -hmm. I finally found one on eBay and was following the auction, but it quickly climbed out of my price range and finally sold for $260. This month's question is about fret leveling. What steps do you take to prepare the neck? Then, what tools do you use? Files? Sanding bar? Some folks on the forums have mentioned using a radius sanding block. Can that really be used? Thanks again for the amazing podcast, John Nicholas. Thanks for the question, John. Uh, to prepare a neck for a fret level, um, the first thing you do, obviously, is just inspect it and see what's going on with the neck. You know, there's, there's a number of reasons why you would level the frets of a neck, actually. It's not just because of fret wear. Um, sometimes there's discrepancies and uh, high spots and, you know, a twist in the neck. So you really have to get the lay of the land on the neck and see where it is you need to level and see, you know, what, what you need to do. Uh, and then when you start leveling, um, I don't use the sanding blocks. I don't use uh, radius blocks. I use files. I use long, flat files with handles. Uh, well, I do occasionally. I've used that really long, uh, that really long bar that they sell at Stumac. It's just a big hollow steel square tube, and you can put sandpaper on one end of it. You know, sandpaper with adhesive on the back. And you can fret level that way. Um, but normally, I use flat files, and then once you get everything leveled off to where you want it to be leveled off, I use the. Uh, crowning files to put a crown back in the in the fret i have different sizes you know depending on which size of fret wire you've got um i've never used a radius sanding block but i suppose it could be used i just don't know why i why i would uh yeah yeah i, I those to me those are more um f for preparing a fingerboard the radius sanding blocks sure yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for the question, John. And I gotta, I gotta check out the Inner Game of Music by Barry Green, and also uh, Matthew from England mentioned Zen Guitar by Philip Sudo. I'm gonna have to check those both out. That's that's uh, those are good recommendations. Thanks, guys. Hi, Eric, Melissa, and company. What's your take on '70s CBS Strats? They seem to have semi-vintage prices, even though they were made in what is supposed to be a low point in the Fender quality. Wouldn't a newer Fender be a better guitar for less money? That comes from Jack Archer. Depends on the newer Fender. Some of them are, you know, 
not that great. Uh, I don't know. I've played duds from every era, really. And I've played gems from every era. I, I think that just, you know, in the 70s, the, the ratio of duds went up. So, um, I don't know. Uh, if you find a good one, I found, I man, I, there was a se- I found a 76 Strat once, which is the year I was born. So I, I, I thought it was cool anyway, because I don't know, it's kind of cool to have a guitar from the year you were born. But this thing was so beautiful. I'd never seen another 70s Strat, especially, uh, like it. The neck was bird's eye maple. It was super lightweight body. It was ash. It was, uh, it was just a really unusual. It must have been either an employee made one-off guitar that they made for themselves, or some kind of a custom order, or a guitar made for somebody special. Because it was really unusual. I'd love to have that guitar. I, I let it slip out of my hands. I thought about buying it, but I, I just didn't have the money at the time. Um, but you know, it depends on the guitar. I, I see what you're saying. They they are a little bit pricey, I suppose, but. Hey, they're vintage guitars. And the thing about 70 Strats is uh, they're not going to be making any more of them. Yeah. Pricey as in $5,000 or $20,000? No, not 20000 No. No. Maybe five. Okay. You know, and a, a new Fender Custom Shop is going to be at least that, so. Yeah. I don't know. It's all relative. It just depends on what you want. You know, Hendrix played a 70s, early 70s Strats. You, you, you don't hear people complaining about that. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, Jack. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Thanks for another great podcast last month and for answering my question. You're welcome. I had another quick one regarding the Fender-type guitars. Not the Fender, just Fender-type guitars. I always get a slight ringing sound from the G-string, which isn't held down by a string tree. There seems to be an overtone from that length of string between the nut and the tuning peg. Can I get? Can, can this be tamed down at all without adding another string tree? Thanks again, Kurt from Seattle. Yeah, thanks for the question, Kurt. Two suggestions. One is, uh, on a Fender-style guitar with only one string tree... So the do you know what a string tree is, Melissa? Yes. It's just that little string retainer. And most, well, the 50s-style fenders only have one, and it goes on the E and B string. Later, they added one for the G and D as well. Uh, but if, you're, if your guitar doesn't have that second string tree, one thing you can do is wrap extra string around the tuner, and that makes it come off of the tuner at a lower point. Oh, that can help. That's smart. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you can do is um, take a nut file or have a competent, you know, guitar tech. Take a nut file and cut that slot so that it's cut properly. It should be angled back towards the tuners. So it should be, the, the slot needs to be angled. The high point is towards the frets and the low point is facing the tuners that should help. So those two things should help. Cool. Those, that's my suggestion. Yeah, nice. Thanks for the question, Kurt. Hey, Eric and Melissa. It's your number one fanboy again. We have a number one fanboy. I'm going to have to get a restraining order. <laughs> hey, Eric. Have you had to grind down the bottom of sad- saddles to lower the action on a telly? 
My Wilkinson compensated saddles are really big, and even at the lowest point, they still sit high for the action I like. What's your advice, oh, oh guru Eric? Regards, Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've I've ground off the bottom of those fat uh, telly saddles. In fact, if you know, a lot of them come pre-ground. Uh, and they did that in the fifties as well. So yeah, there's no, uh, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, the other thing you can do of course is to shim the neck, but if you can get there by grinding the saddles off, I'd probably rather do that. Yeah. Yeah. I ground, I grind the, the, what what do you, the cat just bit me. (laughs) Oh, Sorry. Uh, yeah, I grind the bottoms off of those saddles a lot, um, depending on where you get them. Some of them are pre-ground and some of them aren't. So, yeah, that's a legit thing to do. Thanks for the question, Jonathan. I have a 1974 Fender Strat with a five-way switch, and I don't know what they were thinking, but all three pickups are the same polarity, so there is no hum cancel in positions two and four like on most strats. If I reverse the leads of the middle pickup, will it hum cancel, or will I just get an out-of-phase sound, or both, or neither? I'm confused as to how this works. Hmm. Thanks, Don. Yeah. There's two kinds of people that are confused about phase and hum and everyone. Yeah, guitar players and non-guitar players. Ah. Um it's complicated. Yeah, so if you reverse the leads of the middle pickup uh it won't work because the magnets will still be out of phase. So what in order to get an in order in order to get a hum canceling and in phase sound you would need to reverse the leads and uh reverse the magnet polarity which is not easy to do for your average player it it actually can be done you can recharge the magnet and flip the polarity but it's not something that your average guy is going to do uh, if you if you just reverse the leads, what you'll end up with is just an out of phase sound. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I've ha- I made a chart recently that I'll I'll post as the um, as the uh, image for the show there at fretfiles dot com. What's the chart? Oh, the chart is um, any two pickups. Here's the combination you'll get. So. A south facing up magnet clockwise winding mixed with Aww. you know whatever else so you've got the magnet polarity and winding direction and whether that's in phase out of phase or et whether you'll whether you'll get hum whether it'll be in phase whether it'll be out of phase whether it'll be hum canceling there's a lot of combinations and it's complicated further complicated by the fact that the winding direction isn't necessarily the determining factor. It's whether the electrons are flowing clockwise or counterclockwise. And you can you can reverse that by reversing the leads. Wow. Y- yeah. That's amazing. Well, it's complicated, and that's why everybody's confused about it. But this handy chart that I've written will help you. So I'll post that as the image that... that uh, and I think the next question is a, is a similar. Oh, great. Thanks for the question, Don. 
I love the out-of-phase sound on my telly, but the 60-cycle hum is killing me. Is there a way to have the hum cancel in all three middle positions? I have a five-way super switch. I'm sure you're familiar with the super switch wiring telly, wiring for telly. It goes like this. One, bridge. Two, out-of-phase. Three, both, parallel. Four, series. Five, neck. Currently, the hum is canceled only in positions three and four. I don't really fully understand phase and hum cancel and what makes it possible, but if you have a solution, let me know. Thanks, Andy in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, again, um, it just depends on magnet magnet polarity and uh, winding direction, or more specifically, electron flow direction. But... Uh, you can only on on one of those five way switches. You can only have one or the other. It's either gonna hum cancel in position three and four, or in position two. You're not gonna get both. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it's because uh, when you reverse the phase, you also have to reverse the magnet in order to get hum canceling. Hmm. Yeah, and so there's just no way there's no way to accomplish that. So just put up with the hum. Either put up with the hum, or uh, so. From his question, I can tell that his pickups are reverse wound and reverse polarity from each other. So if if you want to get hum canceling in the out of phase position, you'll need two pickups that are the same winding direction and the same magnetic polarity, and it will hum cancel in the out of phase setting. However, it will no longer hum cancel in positions three and four. So you got a choice to make there. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that stinks. Yeah, there's no way to do it both. I know I've tried. Sorry, Andy in Oregon. Yeah, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll be uh, right back with more. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. don't only repair guitars, right? I also build guitars, and they're called Pinup Custom Guitars. You can check them out online at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, customguitars.com. And uh, I've been putting off making a commercial for so long because it's just, it's, I don't know, it's... 
what good would it be for me to tell you about them? Because obviously I think they're great. I make them. Obviously I think they're the best. I make them. So I decided what I would do would be uh, to put out the call uh, for some owners of some of my guitars to uh, tell you what they think. And uh, so that's what I've done. So I'll, I'll, I'll let some of the owners of my guitars tell you about them. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster-style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage-style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my, uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I have the money, I don't ten of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. Well, there you have it. And if you've been wondering what my guitars sound like, you've been listening to them all along. Uh, that last song was, was uh, Darren Jones. Jones and Fisher using his pinup, and all the other music is me using my guitars. And uh, I just, you know, these guitars are what I call vintage-style recreations of famous 50s guitars. I don't make Telecasters. I don't make Stratocasters. Only Fender makes those. These are tributes to those guitars. And uh, Telecaster, Stratocaster, those are registered trademarks, obviously, of the Fender Music Instrument Corporation. Howdy, Daw family. Mr. Daw, I wanted to let you know how much my new pinup means to me. I can't remember a time when a guitar expressed my tone so aptly. Yay! I am finding it hard to set down. She looks as beautiful as she sounds. I wish to express my appreciation for your dedication to the craft, the results of which are testimony to the zeal that is surely yours. Thank you for this guitar. Its residency is permanent without doubt keep on luthan in a free world my friend (laughs) i feel like just that that you need to have that quote on your website uh that's awesome mrs daw i dressed up my les paul with one of your handsomely adorned straps hey i wouldn't dream of clothing my new pinup in anything less let me know when you're able to get back to working the leather again Adam Willing, I'm thinking custom job. All apologies to Melissa. I know how much you love getting to the point. So to the questions without further delay. Uh, I am going to be getting back to work very soon, everybody. I've spent a couple nights out in the shop, but I've been working on my own projects. So uh, I guess if I had a custom order, I would actually start working. So contact me. Uh, Okay, here we go. Will putting a bridge cover over my pinup's bridge affect its tone? 
Also regarding ebony fretboard wear, last episode you guys discussed this topic and to me I was confounded. How do, how often do you really see this? I would estimate I have close to 10,000 hours on my custom Paul 1980 and I notice nary a dent in the ebony, even in the spots where the back of the neck clearly shows a fondness for that position. Could it be my jumbo frets spared the ebony over the years? Do you feel this type of work is ever actually a necessity other than the, when the client wishes it? Thanks kindly, Joshua Joel. <laughs> Thanks, Joshua. I appreciate the accolades for Melissa and I's work. And uh, thanks for buying a pinup guitar and for buying a custom strap. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, putting a, a bridge cover over that bridge will definitely affect the tone. That's That's certain. And regarding the ebony fretboard wear um yeah the, you've got jumbo frets and that's what saved the ebony um i've seen i've seen plenty of of worn ebony fretboards i i think that it's a combination of two things some you know players have different uh will have a different touch from one to the next and some people really dig in but lower frets is where you see the the worn grooves in the fingerboard. So, yeah, the 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 higher frets I think spared your ebony for sure. Thanks, Josh. Hi guys. I have a parts telecaster that I love, but the bridge pickup is so bright. I feel like I can't use it. The neck pickup is fine. It's the standard tele neck pickup with a chromed cover, and it's warm and full sounding, but not very bright at all. So when I want a brighter sound, I go to use the bridge pickup, and wow, it's so harsh and bright. It's kind of unusable. Is that a standard tele problem? What can I do to tame that bridge pickup a little? Any ideas? If it helps to know, I'm using a Fender 70s Pro Amp and sometimes a few effects, but nothing crazy. Thanks, Brad in Tempe, Arizona. It's interesting to me that we get so many Fender-related questions, but I, I suppose that's... I, I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's because that's what I'm into. I, because I don't, you know... I mean, I just read the questions that come in. Right. I mean, uh, well, I read them. Well, right. But I mean, <laughs> uh, we get very few acoustic questions. I, it, it's interesting to me that our audience is so Fender-centric. Do people Google Fender? I have no idea. And your name comes up? I have no idea. It's interesting to me. But I'm not complaining at all. Please. I mean, this, you know, I suppose that uh, it just fits, right? Why question it? Um, Brad, thanks for the question. He's got a Telecaster, but the bridge pickup is so bright. The neck pickup is fine. Yeah. Sometimes, Brad, sometimes uh, the problem is the solution. You know? <laughs> Here's what you're up against. You've got your amp set. This is just my opinion. You take this with a grain of salt, but you've got your amp set too bright. That's my opinion. Um, you also mentioned, which I'm glad you did, uh, it's a standard tele neck pickup with the chromed cover. Um, if you were to replace that uh, chromed cover with, with an unplated nickel cover, 
or uh, just take the cover off, you'd be surprised at how much brighter that pickup would sound. The neck pickup. And then with both pickups sounding brighter, you'd be able to uh, turn the, t- the treble down on your amp and you'd have less discrepancy between the two pickups. The, and I know this because this has always been my complaint with, with Telecaster-style guitars. The neck pickup, see, it just depends on how you word it. The neck pickup is too muddy. Hmm. So you're saying the bridge pickup is too bright. I'm saying the same thing with different words. The neck pickup is too muddy. It's just that I've got my amp set to where the bridge pickup sounds good. Then when you switch to the neck pickup, it sounds too muddy. Does that make sense? Yeah. So really what you need to do is is brighten up the, that neck pickup because um, the bridge pickup is sending a full signal. A beautiful full signal with all of the frequencies of your guitar to the amp. The neck pickup is not. It's being, it's being muddied. It's being dampened by that chromed brass cover. I hate, I really hate those. This isn't a vintage guitar, is it? I'm not telling you to do something I wouldn't do. Uh, no, he says, I have a parts Telecaster that I love, but the bridge pickup is too bright. So I'm assuming this is a guitar that you would not mind swapping parts out on. Get yourself a replacement cover for that pickup or a different pickup um, that has a brighter tone. And then you'll be able to set your amp to where both of those pickups are sounding usable. That's that's what I would do. That's you know, take it with a grain of salt. But that's I mean, I I know that's probably not what you uh, were expecting. But that's that's what I would do. So, I'm sorry if I'm if you're going to repeat what you just said. But say he doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. How do you make the bridge pickup sound muddier? The only way to do that is to take away frequencies from it. Why would you want to do that? Don't you want to send all the frequencies, all the beautiful frequencies that your guitar is sending to your amp? You want those to be reproduced. Are you a frequency advocate? I'm saying that the only way to do it is to is to mute it in some way. Why would you want to do that? Well, that was the question he asked. I know, but... But he's asking the question backwards. His bridge pickup (laughs) sounds too bright because his neck pickup is muted. Okay. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a very standard telly problem. It's a very standard telly problem. And if you set your amp to where your bridge pickup sounds right, you'll see that that neck pickup is too muddy. Easy experiment. Try it. Okay. Thanks, Brad. Hi, Eric, Melissa, and Adam. I would love to hear your share. you share whatever knowledge and or opinion. That's funny that people are t- talking to Adam. Like he's, he's three months old, guys. Yeah. Well, he's, he was on the last show, <laughs> and he had something to say. Yeah. Uh, I would love to hear you, you share whatever knowledge and or opinions you have about B-Bender guitars, specifically... Do you have any experience working on B-Benders? Is there anything to watch out for, good or bad, when buying one? What are your thoughts on the different B-Bender mod kits? Other than reading once that it was invented by two members of the Birds back in the late 60s, I know very little about B-Benders, and I would appreciate hearing your perspective on them. Thanks, Charlie in North Seattle. 
Charlie, I so appreciate you sending in a question. I I wish I had something better to say to you than this, but I I just I know very little about bee benders and I really other than they're a they're a pain in the ass to in, try to install or to work on uh and I try to steer clear of them any opportunity I get. Well, okay. I know that's harsh, isn't it? So uh, I I'm not sure what a bee bender is. Oh. Okay. A bee bender. You're not going to believe this. Uh-oh. A bee bender is a contraption. And Charlie, I I I feel bad. Because I feel like I, I you you sent in such a nice question and I just don't have an answer for you. I just don't I I just don't have much experience working on them. I'm not a huge fan of them. I don't know anything about the mod kits. I'm so sorry. It's it's not any it's not any reflection on you. It's just that I'm not really into bee benders. Uh, a bee bender is this contraption that is installed on the back of a telly where um, there's this mechanical apparatus. You have to route out all these channels. Oh. It's this huge, like, crazy contraption that levers and springs where the B string oh. goes through a certain little receptacle and then through these springs and levers and everything, it's finally, it's hooked up to the strap button. And when you oh. pull the guitar down, the strap pulls the strap button up and, and it bends the bee and string. bends the B string with all these little levers. That sounds real pointless. No, it's cool. It's cool because you get a cool sound. But I don't like to work on them. <laughs> and I've had people ask me to install them and I say, no thanks. Uh yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks. It's one of those things that you almost have to kind of find a, a B-Bender specialist. It's the same deal that I've had with, with pedal steels. People, you know, I work on guitars, so people assume, well, this is kind of a guitar. Will you will you work on my pedal steel? No. I, I don't know anything about them. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with them. I look, I look at those and it looks like I'm working on a clutch for a Ford van. I don't know anything about it. Makes they're, sense. They're cool. And I think that you, you know, should play pedal steel. And I think that you should play a B-Bender. But I, I just, it's just not my expertise. This next question comes from a really nice guy in uh, Berlin, Germany. And he uh, wrote out his name phonetically for me. And I love it when they do that. I like that. Uh, anyway, here we go. Hey, Eric and Melissa, I just discovered the Fret Files podcast about a week ago through Fretboard Journal podcast. So I have been listening to all the episodes while setting up and repairing guitars over that week. Perfect match. Anyway, I have maybe more of a comment rather than a question about you always saying people should go to a reputable repair person with their guitars. I've been repairing for two years professionally now, and without people trusting me to do a good job, even though I'm not 10 years into it, I would be going nowhere. Almost all my customers return because they like my work and tell others about it. That way they can enjoy not being looked down on when they bring the guitars they love, which might not be the most expensive. And I get better every day. 
I also sold my first handmade instrument last year to somebody who I guess also liked the idea of supporting me as an upcoming luthier. Any thoughts about this are welcome. If you make the podcast into a weekly thing, I promise I'll come up for questions with each episode. <laughs> Keep up that great entertainment. Thanks, Eric and Melissa. Cheerio, Nikolai Schor in Berlin, Germany. Sweet. All the way from Berlin. Um, I think it's great. You know, you got to start somewhere. And it sounds like, I mean, I'm just judging from your question uh, and from the fact that you're doing research and listening to podcasts and uh, that you're building guitars. I'm just judging from all of those things that uh, that you know what you're doing and that you and that you do good work. And I'm and I'm, you know, I, I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, taking your guitars to someone who's only been at it for two years if they know what they're doing. Right. And, you know, it, that that's the thing about it is, you know, you repair a friend's guitar for them and you do a good job on them. Then they refer one of their other friends to you. And then, you know, the list goes on and on. So it's not like just because you're new at it, you're not reputable. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that he's referring to uh, a question way back several episodes ago. Uh, oh. My computer's doing crazy things. Aww. I know. It wants me to upgrade to Windows 10. I don't want to upgrade to Windows 10. Does anybody else have this problem? Are you kidding me? Upgrade. Every time you upgrade a computer, that's when you lose half of your... Like, all of a sudden, nothing works anymore? Yeah. Where was I? Uh, Nikolai. Um, yeah, I think he's referring to an episode a long time ago when somebody asked me, how do I tell if this repair person is reputable? Um, you know, the, it sounds like you're getting good referrals already, so uh, I'd say keep rolling with it. And before you know it, you'll have been doing it 10 years. And, you know, that, that I mean, there was a point where everybody was a beginner and you're not a beginner. You've been doing this for two years. That's a good long time to uh, establish some solid skills there. So keep it up. Yeah. And thanks for the question. Really enjoying the podcast. Thanks. I have a 1970 square shoulder Gibson J50 that I bought new in 1971. It's been around the block to be sure, but it's still playable after a local luthier refretted it and generally cleaned it up. The catch is that I never really liked it. It's really heavy, it's not very loud, it still has that awful adjustable bridge saddle they used to have back then. It's really kind of a clunker. It occurred to me that the old, played-in mahogany and spruce could be used by a luthier to make an entirely new guitar. Disassemble the old guitar completely and make a round-shoulder dread or a smaller guitar from the usable pieces. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Or should I just sell it, since I never play it much? I've tried in the past, but never had any takers. I think early 70s Gibsons are known to be duds. Thanks, David Birch. Thanks for the question, David. I I think that sounds like a fantastically bad idea. <laughs> uh, I would not recommend taking that apart and trying to build a new guitar out of it. First of all, um, uh, it, it's really going to be limiting as, into, as far as what you can do. Uh, and... Uh, and really, why? You know, because to, to pay somebody to do that is going to be about the same cost, whether or not they're going to use your old guitar for parts or not. 
And so you'll be out that guitar. I I, I would, you know, if you want to have a custom guitar built, have a custom guitar built, but don't chop this one up. I mean, I know it's. I know those early '70s are kind of duds, but it's still a vintage guitar, and it's. I think it's probably worth twelve or fifteen hundred bucks. You know, I, and it's probably sentimental to you. You bought it new in '71. I think of all. It's like an old friend. You really want to <laughs> chop that guy up? Come on, David. Just you know, uh, I would say, send it to me. That's that's my recommendation. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I would say hold on to it because, you know, I, I think you'd regret it if you sold it or if you chopped it up. But that's just my opinion. I don't know. Maybe, or, maybe or you sell it. Yeah, I guess you could sell it. Maybe you. I don't know. It sounds like he hates it. Yeah, flush it down <laughs> the toilet. Well, Do whatever you want, man. Yeah. Well, you've had it for 50 years, 45 years. <laughs> you don't hate it that bad. <laughs> All right. I'm just these. Well, thanks, David. No wonder people only write in once. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a. I'm sorry, guys. The, the, I hope I'm not uh, offending everyone and Everybody's anyone cool. with an earshot. I really appreciate you sending in questions, everybody. Keep keep it up. Uh, I, I I I would love it if you'd participate in the show. Go to ericdaw.com. E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click the contact link. Submit your questions that way, or you can call or text 757-774-8482. And I think we have one more question here. Hello, Eric and Mel. Thanks for calling me, Mel. I bought my first vintage guitar recently, a 1963 Harmony Rocket H53 or H53. Uh, I need some tips on the best way to intonate the floating bridge and also a recommendation for replacement tuners because this is a player and the current tuners are really rough and a few are stripped and take a few terms to catch the gears and starting and start tightening or loosening the string. Thank you. I hope the whole family is well. Love the show. That's from Zach in Ohio. Who's oh, yeah. A good friend of ours. Thanks, Zach. Um... Yeah, I just rewound a pickup for Zach. Um, yeah, so what was his question? Tips on intonating a Harmony Rocket. If it's got the original bridge, it's just a, it's just a, a, a wood floating tailpiece. There's no saddles, individual saddles. It's just a wood archtop tailpiece. And what I do on those, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but what I do on those is what you want to do is intonate the A string and the B string so that they're perfectly dead on. That way, any other string will be only one string away from being perfect. A lot of people will intonate the outer E strings, and by the time you get in the middle, it's pretty far off. So intonate the A and the B, just perfect, and uh, that's about the best you're going to get it. The only other thing to do would be to swap out the top for something that you can intonate, but that's tough on those harmonies because... The necks aren't very wide. You'll notice, you know, on, on those Harmony Rockets, this has always been my complaint about those Harmony Rockets, is the neck width doesn't really doesn't really taper. It doesn't, you know, most guitars, they get wider as you go up the neck. Those Harmony Rockets don't. They're about the same width all the way up. And so you can't really use a tunematic or anything like that because the string spread is too wide. So just stick with that. Stick with that original bridge. Intonate the A and the B, and then 
you can either, um, you know, mark what I like to do is mark where the bridge goes with a fine point Sharpie so that if it moves, I can put it back without putting it on the, on the strobe tuner. The other thing you can do would be to use some strong double-sided tape and secure it that way so that it doesn't move. And on the tuners, I would recommend Godos. Uh, if you've got the individual tuners, the individual Goto Klusen styles, or if they're the three on the strip kind, use those Goto Klusen style three on a strip. Those will look right, kind of, you know, because they'll look vintage, even though that's not really what harmonies came with. They'll kind of look right, and they really are nice tuners. They, they're, they're better than the actual Klusen brand Klusens that they sell now, which... I don't know where those are made, China. Or they're they're not very good. I like I prefer the Goto, Klusen copies. They're made in Japan, to high standards, and I like them a lot. Thanks for the question, Zach. That wraps it up for this edition of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to uh, my lovely co-host Melissa. Thanks to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com. Check us out at fretfiles.com. If uh, if you're on Facebook, find me there. It's The Fret Files has a Facebook page, and I occasionally post insane things or witty guitar pictures. Uh, but there's also updates and different things there. So find The Fret Files podcast on Facebook. You can listen in iTunes, or you can listen on whatever. I don't know how people listen. I'm podcast technically ignorant, but if you're listening now, then you already know how to listen. So I don't even know what I'm saying. But thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next month. 